see some movement at the takeoff zone. It's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry. This thing holding open. It spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit. Spits him out. Comes out after the spit. Gets spat out of another good-looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, I got yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. Yeah, friggin' guy. We are getting a phone call from my wife. Hold on for just a second. Move that thing off the screen. I don't want that. What thing? Your paper's blocking half the screen. Oh, uh, hold on. Okay, should we start over? Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. Spit. It is Thursday, July 8th, the year 2020. My name is Scott Bass, joined with my co-host, David Lee Scales. We're talking all things surf here as we do each and every week. Good morning, David. Good morning, Scott. How was your Independence Day <laughs> in this fine nation of America? July 4th was last week. Yeah, Independence Day. It was kind of crazy. Um, just, you know, like I, you know, the pandemic is kind of just, it's just everything's different, you know? And so usually I go into lockdown anyway during the July 4th, especially the day of, but this July 4th weekend. So I surfed early and then just kind of came home and did some yard work and kind of stayed away from the madness. How are the waves? The waves have been pumping. It's been so good. And I know it's been good up, up there in Orange County where you reside. So um, I'm sure you've been getting good waves too. It's been absolutely pumping. Um, the uh, it's so walled though, you know, like a lot of the spots around here, they're straight closeouts. But oh. I mean, it was all time wedge, which was pretty awesome just to watch and see. Um, but yeah, I think you have a little bit more, few better options down in your zone than we do up here when it's that big, anyways. Yeah, I spent some time kind of just watching the wedge on the Surfline camera. Yeah, and. Um, what I noticed is that there wasn't any people on the beach. Did you go on, down and check it out or? No, was that on the 4th of July? I, it was either the 4th or the day before or. Hmm. That's but, weird. Yeah. Were your beaches open, by the way? Yes. Or wait, the beaches were open, but the parking lots were closed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they closed LA County, certainly um, closed all the beaches and the parking lots and all that sort of stuff. But the law enforcement wasn't enforcing it. Like they were whoever, I don't think it was Newsom, but somebody high up said they were going to give out thousand dollar fines for anybody who was caught on the beach. And the local authorities basically said, the sheriff deputies basically said, we're not going to do that. We want to practice, you know, kindness and care and not give people frivolous fines for going to the beach on the 4th of July. So as long as people are socially distanced and all that sort of stuff, we're not worried about it. Yeah. Which I, which I think is a practical response. Yeah, right. I mean, we're getting this uptick in cases here, corona cases, COVID cases. And, um, you know, things are kind of, we're going backwards a little bit, it seems like. A little like. bit. Yeah. The, the problem is, and I mean, we, you and I have been culprits of, uh, you know, of bad, I don't know, propaganda, promoting, I don't know what the right word is, but basically uh, just in an effort to make the show entertaining and just riffing, we'll just give some sort of advice and not even advice. It's just give our opinions about what's happening in this current moment. 
But what ends up happening is it takes a couple weeks for this thing to, for things to really show up and for the data to kind of, you know, whatever. Yeah. Present. present. Exactly. And so like, Oh, nothing, everything's fine. Now, two weeks later, after it's too late, turns out things weren't fine. And then right now, obviously there's a spike in COVID uh, cases and then there's people going, yeah, but there's not deaths. These are just cases. The death numbers are down. It's like, well, death comes weeks after the contraction of the, so let's talk in a couple of weeks, you know, the yeah. data is always, the data is always two or three weeks behind what you should be doing in the moment. So hindsight is 2020, but um, we all end up looking like idiots with egg on our face with the benefit of hindsight. Well, I, it's, it's a great segue if there is such a thing, because um, I have some pandemic uh, reactions that I want to discuss with you and get your insights on that. But before we do that, I did get an email from uh, listener Greg, who says, hey, Scott and David, between the world and me. Oh, yeah. Such an enlightening book. Everyone should read this. And kudos for bringing this book to your listeners. And he goes on to say, hey, I'm also surviving without the WSL, which is what you and I spoke about yes, last week. But I sure missed the J Bay contest. Yeah, there's the book. Tanahisi Coats Between the World and Me. So anyway, thanks for the email, Greg. We appreciate it. Yeah, I agree with him, though, about the WSL, too, is uh, we're certainly surviving without it, but we miss it for sure. Well, last week, you and I were waiting with bated breath, I guess, for a, some sort of press release that was promised on July 1st from the WSL, and it appears that never showed up. No. And honestly, they didn't, uh, they didn't say outrightly, we have huge news that we're going to release on July 1st. But what they did say in April and May was, we will have an update on June 1st. Then June 1st came, they didn't say anything. And a few days later, maybe June 5th, uh, they said, we're pushing back this new, the call essentially for what our plan is until July 1st. Well, now it's July 9th and there's still no update. They're basically radio silent, which is, I think, probably the worst tactic of all. Even if they don't have huge news, they should maintain some level of communication, Right. Yeah, and, and I'm sure you've seen, I don't, well, I don't know if you've seen, but I see here on Beach Grit, Chaz is reporting some, some rather, I don't know if it's a rumor or if it's verified sourcing, but, I don't, but it's so, from Beach Grit, so take that with a grain of salt. But he's basically saying that, that he's got a rumor, Chaz and Beach Grit have a rumor, that the WSL is going to declare the 2020 season will kick off in December in Hawaii and roll directly into the 2021 season. You're shaking your head, Dave. No, I look, the way I treat Chaz's articles now is I see one article with a incendiary headline and I go, okay, now it's on my radar, but I'm not clicking and reading that. I got to wait until I see two or three in a row. And then I go, okay, now maybe this is more than just an unsubstantiated rumor. But when I saw that, the headline gave me all the information I needed. I knew that I wouldn't get any additional info out of reading the article. And it's a rumor. So until I start hearing it from multiple places, it's strictly a rumor. Yeah. So, and you don't, you reading his thing don't qualify as source number two. That's still source <laughs> number one. So I still don't take it seriously. Um, 
I like my sources as unsubstantiated as possible. Therefore, I go straight to Chaz and Beach Grit. Um, look, I don't think either, we've kind of discussed this at length, but there's more information now. And there's also more kind of um, this COVID spike that we're seeing now doesn't bode well for the WSL or for them updating, you know, being able to run any events in 2020. And as things currently stand, Hawaii forces travelers coming into quarantine for two weeks. Europe is basically not going to let Americans in. Most Western European countries have mandated that they're not going to let American tourists in. So Europe is certainly out of the question for the tour. Hawaii, I think, follows suit. Look, I, I, I'm leaning more and more towards, frankly, the entire 2021 season being dismissed. Yeah. Not just 2020, 2021. In reality, until there's a vaccine, a worldwide vaccine that everyone takes, I don't see how you can have a global tour of any sort, whether it be surfing or the Olympics or any sort of global sport without a vaccine. It just, it just seems undoable. Well, maybe I'm maybe I'm going too far here, and I certainly hope so. I guess what I'm hoping is that there's a vaccine at ASAP, you know, and that that may be the case. Maybe maybe we're rushing towards one, and we don't realize it. But look, if yes, and in addition to that, um, the WSL's funding needs to be lined up to run the event. Like I would imagine that whatever funding was in place in 2019 probably isn't as stable going into 2021. The WSL, they certainly lost a lot of revenue in 2020, if not all the revenues. So whatever financial kind of planning and backing they had to run the tour, is that still going to be in place in 2021? Probably not. Are they going to be able to secure new sources of funding for no, because everybody seized up their spending and their marketing dollars and all that sort of stuff. Like, I don't, there's huger problems for the WSL than just COVID. Yeah. There's business, business, you know, uh, challenges. So. Well, this brings me to, um, if, if you're done here, I want to move to my pandemic reaction. Number one, I have two pandemic reactions that, um, that I've sort of been chewing on and I'd like to get your insight on this. I'm curious. So, so number one is, is the mid-length surfboard the new high-performance shortboard? And, and I, I'll tell you, the waves have been good, right? And it's been crowded. I mean, there's more surfers in the water than there's ever been. And that makes sense. Everyone's unemployed. One thing I've noticed, and I'm wondering if this is related to the, to the COVID lockdowns, and therefore, no competitive professional surfing. Your average young surfer, say 20-year-old surfer, is that more of them are riding mid-length surfboards than ever before. Now, I see a lot of kids on 7-4 single fins. They're good surfers. They catch tons of waves. More often than not, they're hipster longboarders that really ride a longboard really good. And so a short, a seven, four is their shortboard anyway. Right. Yeah. And I think that's been there all along, but more to my point and sort of adding to the mix in this, 
this question, is the mid-length the new high-performance shortboard, is that because there is no high-performance shortboard competitive surfing ideal, because the WSL and all competitions, NSSAs, everything's been on hold for going on eight months now, I see a lot of guys, and not hipsters per se, but surfers who normally would be ripping on high-performance shortboards, who are more of the competitive surfing mindset. Like I say, guys that surf and grew up surfing the NSSAs and the WSAs. I see these kids riding mid-links. Now, it could be that it's regional to me where I'm at here because Rob Machado lives and surfs in this area. He has a ton of influence. He's riding and he's selling tons of those seaside model firewire, the 7-4 big fishes. A lot of guys my age in their 30s, 40s, and 50s are riding those boards and they're loving them. And they're surfing, they're doing the same turns they'd be doing on the board if it was smaller. And so the 20-year-old surfer is like, God, just to keep up with these 30, 40, and 50-year-old guys, they have to go to bigger boards and they're realizing, hey, these boards are fast and I can surf pretty good on them. So I guess my question to you is, is the mid-length the new high-performance shortboard? Is this a pandemic reaction because we don't have competitive surfing as an ideal that, we're, that the 20-year-old surfer is setting his sights towards? The reality is the reality in the water, in his realm each and every day. Yeah, have I, the, have yeah, I set you up for enough here? Yeah, you have. And those are a couple of different questions. Um, is the mid-length the new high-performance shortboard? Hell no. But it, the, I see what you're saying is the young people who used to ride the high-performance shortboard are now on the mid-length. Yes to that. Is the pandemic and the lack of WSL competition the reason for it? I think that's a little bit of a stretch. Um, it might be a reason for 5% of them. 5% of those riders would have been influenced and maybe inspired by Kaloe and Dino instead of Rob Machado. And they would have then made a purchase for the mayhem, you know, thruster instead of the Machado's board. But that's kind of a small percentage, I would say. I think there was a lot, there was a confluence of factors in place before this pandemic happened that set up this mid-length movement that we're all experiencing. And I didn't even think about Machado Seaside. That's a very, like you said, regional example. I think of Torrin Martin. I think of Devin Howard with Channel Islands. I think of um, album albums, got a number of them, you know? Um, and the one that you've been writing from Seiko. Like everybody, all these individual shapers have seen kind of what's the successes that surfers are having on those boards and are then developing models on their own. I just got a DM from a listener two or three days ago saying that he wants the one similar to the Torn Martins writing, but he's in Southern California. So he sent me a link to Doc Lausch's website and he goes, look at this board that Doc has. And I didn't even know Doc was doing mid-lengths, you know? He's like, check this one out. How does this look compared to the Torn Martin one? And so I sized it up and um, it doesn't look like Torn Martins essentially, but that's irrelevant to our conversation. But the point is there's all of these people trying to make mid-lengths now because surfers are just having more fun on them. Well, actually you bring up a great point and, and there's always been the guys that made mid-lengths. There's always been the Josh Halls and the Chris Christensen's, right? Well, what Josh Hall though is long fish, right? Is, is he a mid-length guy? 
Yes. But my point is, whoever it is, let's say it's Josh Hall, let's say it's Chris Christensen, there's always been the guys that have been making mid-lengths. That, that Takiyama. Have, have made fishes, have made mid-lengths. What we're seeing, I think, and you bring up Doc, which is a great example, is Doc is traditionally a Huntington Beach shortboard shaper. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Now, we're seeing a lot of those guys. Channel Islands, that's that's a basically a competitive shortboard, high-performance sure. shortboard brand. For sure. We're, so we're seeing those guys come into the market with these mid-length boards, which to me speaks to this 20-year-old surfer that was a dock high-performance shortboard surfer is now 28 and is like going, God, I got to deal with this 21-year-old at my local spot. I need more foam. And this board rips just as, you know, relatively speaking, just as well as my prior high-performance shortboard. And so I'm, I'm wondering if, so I get it that there's always going to be the mid-length hipster guy. I'm not, I'm agreeing like that's been around for 10 years now. Of course. What I'm saying is not the Alex Nost guy, but the guy who was ripping on a high-performance dock or ripping on a high-performance Channel Islands or ripping even on a high-performance Firewire and now going to the mid-length board and going, you know what, I'm catching a ton of more waves. I'm older now. I'm digging it. For this sure. wasn't traditionally our mid-length hipster guy. In fact, they kind of looked down on the mid-length hipster guy. They're like, oh, there's that fucking, you know what I mean? But Dude, anyway, I'm, that, I I think mean, I'm seeing that. And I, I'm on a 610 out in the water and I'm feeling kind of under underpowered sometimes for sure on my board there's everybody seems to be on a seven four yeah so I want to tease apart a couple of things you're saying the traditional hip mid-length hipster guy I don't think that was a traditional thing Alex Nost was a log writer like the the hipsters were generally longboard and log riders and right. Josh Hall is a big board guy like the mid-length thing think, is a newer I Josh, trend. I think Josh Hall would argue that case. I would think if you That saw, he's a mid-length guy? Yeah. I think yeah. he's a big board guy. Well, okay. Well, whatever the case is, the mid-length tr trend is a newer trend in general because it, there were eggs before, but hipsters weren't riding eggs, right? They were riding logs and things like that. And fish, for sure fish. But the mid-length thing is relatively new. But your point is still very salient. And... I would argue kind of for your original point about the high performance thing is honestly, there's a high performance aspect to the mid lengths. You're not going to be Absolutely. doing, you're not going to be doing airs on them, but when you watch, let's say Torn Martin at J Bay, you know, that classic footage, not, I mean, now I look at it as classic cause it's a couple years old, but um, if you expand your definition of high performance surfing, I would categorize that as high performance surfing. The turns he's doing are gnarly. The bottom turns he's doing are gnarly. And into the top turns, so much rail, tremendous amount of speed, tons of maneuverability, but he's not doing airs. It doesn't fit the high performance definition of airs and maybe redirecting like 360s and stuff like that. But he's freaking shredding, you know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I'm not saying the actual surfing that ta that's taking place isn't high performance. I'm just saying the guy that was on the short aerial high performance yeah. short board is now he's, he's way more open-minded for sure. Towards getting on a six, eight twin fin and going, wow, this thing's fast and I catch tons of waves and, and I'm 28 now and it, and I'm, I'm not really doing aerials anymore. Anyway, I've got a bum knee or whatever. You know? Well, let's get real. He wasn't doing aerials in the first place. Exactly. You know, like all of us, 
Exactly. We never, we never quite surfed up to our potential. We did one rad thing once. And so we set that as the bar of this is how good of a surfer I am. But 20 <laughs> sessions out of 20, we would fall short of that bar. And so you come to a realization. Speak for yourself. Yeah. Well, usually it takes 10 or 20 years, but you finally come to the realization that foam is your friend and the mid length is the perfect solution to all of those things because you, it actually elevates your performance. If you fell, always fell short of that standard before, now you're kind of going beyond the standard. You're getting more waves. You're doing better turns. You're coming out of them with more speed. You're fit. You're uh, riding the wave a lot farther. So you're doing more turns on that wave. It's like, oh my gosh, this all amounts to more fun. Yeah, your actual fun, time. Surfing. Your actual time riding the wave is way greater, which means you have more opportunities to expand your, you know, your surfing. Exactly. Yeah. So was that? a uh, reaction to there being no world championship tour this year. I'd say in a tiny, tiny person, two to 5% of it, maybe, but by and large, there was a confluence of events in place prior to that. A stretch. I've stretched it a little bit is what you're saying. The pandemic reaction is a stretch. I like it. You're connecting all of these many dots that exist. Yes. But yeah, I don't think it was the primary cause. Okay, pandemic reaction number two, sort of similar. We talked about this a little bit last week. Um, competitive sports. Stanford University has cut 11 of its sports, including fencing and rowing and men's volleyball. Stanford University, Division I school, has the path to professional surfing taken a turn? We've gone eight months since you could have a contest. The NSSA, the WSA, is that competitive path over? Is that path towards professional surfing over? Are Little League surf dads a thing of the past? Is the path to professional surfing taking, taking a turn? I think so. Yeah, 100%. What is the path? What does the path look like? Does the path now look like, hey, dad, I want to be a pro surfer. And the dad goes, well, okay, we need to make edits. And the dad is now a professional videographer. Dude, yeah, sadly, yes. Yeah, sadly, focus on YouTube. Not only are we going to make an edit, but you better do some, uh, a TikTok dance at the beginning of the video. And we'll have a skit at the end of the video. Where and the talk. Is, yeah, and talk straight into the camera and make a lot of hand gestures and loud, expressive kind of exclamation statements yeah. throughout Animation. the video because that is the path. That's the only way. Follow Jamie O'Brien. Whatever Ben Gravy and Jamie O'Brien are doing, that's who you want to follow. Sky Brown that we talked about on a couple of episodes ago, do that and talk straight into the camera. I'll edit it when you go to bed at night and we'll have it up and you'll have 20,000 views by morning. That's so you it. need what you need is a social me media manager. That's it. Who's going to get you all dialed in on all the different platforms? Have an, have a video guys there standing by. Have a have a script writer. The the days of the little league dad on the beach screaming at his kid to catch the set waves. Those days are over. It's archaic. It's totally over. Can I read, I'm going to dovetail this with um, this article that Stab, uh, Sam McIntosh put up on STAB. Did you yeah. read this about salaries? They called it pandemic purges and pickups. 
No, I want to read it though. I want you because well, let me just go. break it. Go let ahead, me break yeah. it down for you because it fits perfectly with this, and I think you'd just be interested to hear some of the salaries. Yeah, um, it's about pro surfers' salaries being cut in regard to the pandemic or due to the pandemic. So Noah Dean, he's down from 500k to 300k a year from Volcom. Chloe Andino was at 750 a year from Hurley. Now he's at 550 a year for 2020 and then 500 a year for uh, 2021. Felipe Toledo was at 650 a year from Hurley. He's down to 300K. Mitch Colburn is off Volcom and his $500,000 a year salary, he's down to zero. Jay Davies was with Ruka. He went from 100K a year down to 60K. The amateurs were hit really hard. Someone like Dakota Walters, who pretty much won everything in Australia last year, would easily be getting 300K if this were the heyday or 10 years ago. Now, that's not even an option for him. Caleb Trank, uh, Trankred was crowned the best junior surfer in Australia last year by Australia Surfing Life. They said, quote, before approaching negotiations with Hurley, Caleb prefaced the meeting by saying, thank you for your support, but I'm going to ditch this pro surfing thing and study at university instead. So Caleb, before the pandemic him. even hit, decided that it'd be worth his time to um, go to university. So those are some numbers. Um, I would say, and so like what he kind of uh detailed with the juniors. I just gave you a couple of numbers, but what he detailed with the amateurs and the juniors was there's no money there. They're like companies making big bets on 20 different athletes from five different regions is a thing of the past. They might pick one that they're going to pin their hopes on. And that guy is going to make now, you know, maybe 70,000 bucks instead of the 300, but they're not just throwing money around anymore for a bunch of people who are going to wash out and then a number of others that are just going to rank, you know, I don't know, be between 12th and 25th on the tour for the next 10 years. Like those, they don't see a return on the investment of those athletes. And to your point about is the contest dad standing on the beach, the sideline dad, a thing of the past? Look, if Chloe and Dino was making 750 by trying to win world tire titles tirelessly and Noah Dean was making 500 for doing nothing essentially for having zero discipline and just surfing whenever he wanted and just having kind of a lifestyle then why would you go the Chloe Andino model I know 750 is 50% more than 500 but 500 is great for doing nothing you know what I mean? I mean, and he's surfing, obviously, but the level of discipline and rigor that Chloe has had to live his life with for an extra 250K a year doesn't look that promising. And he's, by the way, one of thousands and thousands who, di who did wash out, who never made it. Well, you bring up some great points, and it is, it's a great article that Sam wrote, apparently. Um, I did see some tidbits of it um, somewhere especially the part about the young Australian guy that, what was his name? Um, the first Australian you mentioned? Um, Dakota Walters. Yeah, Dakota, um, you know, being lined up. He, you know, just five years ago, he'd be set for a while and now things are, you know, they're okay for him, but the, it's still sketchy. Now I, so earlier I brought up the, I just went to Billabong's website. I'm like, I want to see who's on Billabong's team. And first of all, it was really hard to find out to actually find a link to Billabong's surf team, but I found it. Mm 
So the Bilderbong Global Team, they have it broken down into four different sections. So the Billabong Global Team has 11 guys on it. Can I try Gri to name them? Yeah, please. Well, you just said Griffin. So Griffin, right. Idolo. Yes. Uh, the Moniz clan. Well, well that might be on regional. The, on the global team, there's okay. only one. Oh. Idolo's not global? No, no. There's only one Moniz. Oh, only one Moniz. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, I'm struggling to think who is – okay, Jack Freestone would be on it. Yes. Joel Parkinson would be on it. Yes. Uh, I'm struggling to think beyond that. Oh, Creed McTaggart? No, he's not on the global team. Okay. Yeah, I'm struggling so, to think so who the, would be global. So the global team is the guys you mentioned, Griffin, Idolo, Seth Moniz. Shane Dorian is on the global team. Yep, that makes sense. Joel Parkinson, Ethan Ewing, Ryan Callanan, Jack Freestone. Frederico Marias, question mark, and Mark Ocalupo, oh, and Andy Irons. So there's hmm. 11 guys just on the global team. Now, speaking to what you were talking about earlier, that's a lot of guys to be kind of, you know, putting on your shoulders as a corporation and carrying their fiscal weight around for a year. If each of them is making, I don't know, the lowest level guy, I would say Frederico Marias. What is he making? A hundred grand from yeah. Billabong? So let's just say Griffin's probably making seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Right? I think he got he was contracted to do six, and I think they renegotiated down to three okay, with the so pandemic. Who's the highest paid guy on here? Idolo? Idolo, he's the world champ. Yeah. So what's he getting? Seven fifty five? Yeah, plus I mean, I think there's let's say seven plus let's say around seven annually, and then world title bonuses so i'm just looking at these 11 guys i'm trying to add it up i mean i'm guessing that you're looking at about four million dollars for these 11 guys um and again this is a huge assumption i mean which one of these guys if i had to ask you to be the team guy the guy with the bad news which one of these guys do you cut or do you not cut them is is four million a good value to have 11 of the guys which sort of touch regionally frederico touches europe Aki, Andy, Aki and Parkinson and Jack Freest. There's a, you know, you're looking at five Australians. Do you need five Australians on the Billabong team? Yeah, it's an Australian company. So that would make sense. Um, I would, that if you look at $4 million to kind of have models and athletes for all of your marketing. Yeah. It's probably a reasonable expense considering the I amount of revenues right. that Billabong does. What comes into question is everybody on that next tier. Okay, well, here's Below. the next tier. It's called the Billabong U.S. Next Generation. There's three guys. Ethan Osborne, Finn McGill, and Josh Moniz. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much these guys are getting. Um, this is the Billabong U.S. Next Generation. That's what they're calling. Now, five. The next, the next tier down, or I don't even know if it's a tier down, is called the Billabong Free Surfers. There are five guys on there. Sean Manners, Otis Carey, Tyler Warren, Creed McTaggart, and Kai Hing. Which of these guys are you going to cut? Or which of these guys make sense? Sean Manners, have you ever heard of him? Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, but he's a Creed McTaggart, you know, doppelganger, essentially. Like, you don't need two Creeds. You need one. 
What about Kai Hing? Have you heard of Kai Hing? Yeah, but Kai Hing was more contest focused. So Creed is the, uh, you know, the lifestyle guy. I thought Kai Hing was, I guess they have him listed as a free surfer, but my awareness of him was he was following the contest route. He was coming out of the junior level, was going to do the QS and try to make the world tour. Do you need five free surfers? To me, the guy mm-hmm. that makes the most sense here is Tyler Warren. And I'll tell you why, because he, because he's, because he shapes surfboards. Yeah. And so he's got, he's going to be interwoven into the culture forever just because the guy shapes surfboards and he's a great, you know, he's a good free surfer. He's just kind of the styly sort of Devin Howard type thing. Um, but I mean, certainly you could cut, f- cut three or three of these guys. You could keep Creed and Tyler Warren and be good. Yeah. I would really, the, the all that needs to be discussed is what the numbers are like, yeah, how know, much, right? how much are these exactly. guys costing? And honestly, what are they doing for the brand? I think we're at a point where the athlete needs to earn their keep. And we saw this, I mean, years ago, the coffin brothers, Parker and Connor coffin started their own blog, young wise tales, and they were generating all of their own content. They hired a filmer between the two of them, local guy and documented all of their things. This was pre-YouTube. This was like, I mean, YouTube was around, but they weren't using YouTube as the medium or the platform. And those guys have value for that. They don't so much anymore because they're not keeping up with it. But generating your own content takes a huge burden off of Billabong's back. And Billabong can benefit from all of the exposure that you're getting on your own platforms. But so many of those guys you just named I feel like could have been off of my radar for a year and they could be off for next year. And I still, you know, like, yeah, because they're not, they're not actively creating enough content to make it into my awareness. So there's no magazines that are promoting them. This speaks to the path to pro surfing, which has taken a turn, which is our pandemic reaction, because you've basically laid out the path. If you're a young, whoever, let's say you're a young Sean Manners, you need to show up wherever it is at Billabong or Volcom or whoever is the team guy, whoever, wherever the contract's going down. And you need to go, here are my distribution outlets. Here yeah. is my social media platform. Here are my followers. Here are my numbers. Here's what I plan for the next year. And you would blow away about probably, you know, seven out of 10 of these guys don't even have that together. For sure. And that's perhaps one of the paths, the, to pro surfing. If I was the brand, yeah. If I was the brand, I would be saying, what are you going to do for us? We're going to pay you this salary and you're an employee, but as the employee, how much content are you going to generate for us? Well, my, my point is if I was the brand, I'd be like, don't even show up unless you have a path to show me. Yeah, exactly. Um, Because, because let's assume that the tour is not going to be running and the world is like here. The reality is, there's never been a greater time to be a pro surfer because the world is your oyster. You used to have to thread the needle. You used to have to thread the needle. And like, here's a super narrow opening that thousands of surfers are trying to make their way through. And I don't know, five to 10 brands are going to maybe help you usher, help usher you through that needle. But guess what? It's a wide open landscape right now. You can make your own path. And you can do it by just being you. If you're also into fitness and wellness, perfect. 
start promoting those things. You don't have to just go to the beach and do the biggest air anymore. If you look good in board shorts and you do 50 burpees a day, post that and tell people what you eat to have the energy to do that. And that's relevant too, you know, like it's wide open. So there's, there's, there's one more tier. Okay. I, I like this. The, the world is their oyster. They just need to friggin', you know, get an oyster shucker and start popping the things. So the final tier is called Billabong U.S. Bloodlines. And there are five guys on here. Brody Sale, Ocean Macedo, Tommy Coleman, Jackson Dorian, and Axel Irons. What do you make of these five guys? Groms. This is the Grom line, basically. What do you think about nepotism and being a pro surfer? Like, as an end user of the content, would you rather watch Jackson Dorian and say Noah Beshin over, I don't know, Sean Manners and Kai Hing? Yeah, because... Because of those, the story behind the bloodline, well, right? Well, no, partially, but also because those guys shred. Jackson Dorian and Noah Beshin shred. Like... The, the benefit of the nepotism is that they were born into a father who spends all of his time at the beach and has tremendous insights into helping you become a better surfer. And so those kids become great surfers. You know, the nepotism isn't necessarily um, favoritism. Benefiting. Yeah, it's not favoritism in the corporate office and you're getting better contracts, which maybe maybe that's secondary, but they're great surfers. Well, they absolutely are. Um, I'm saying they're great surfers, just like the other guys are great surfer, but it's probably way more beneficial to ha be able to have Shane Dorian call somebody yeah. and go, Hey, this is Shane. I wanted you to see my son. You know, like, well, Kelly Slater's your uncle. Like there's yeah. all sorts that comes with that. Yeah. But also, uh, Jackson Dorian has more access to better waves, more travel than Sean Manners does. I don't know what Sean Manners dad does for a living, but Let's get real. Shane's taken Jackson to wave pools, to Jaws, to everywhere. So I just pulled up the Billabong team, right? 24 guys, five different levels, um, and no pro tour for the entire 2021 season. Um, it, you're, the, you're the Billabong Excel spreadsheet wizard. You have to cut some costs here. Can you validate all of these ex these guys and their expense? It'd be uh, hard. It'd be hard for any brand to 24? make that justification now. I, I mean, honestly, I think this whole thing has. Um, I've been having this conversation since before the pandemic, but the whole pandemic has really made me reevaluate the equitability, the equity of paying pro surfers the salaries that they make. Yeah, you and I have spoken for years about, I mean, you've often heard me said, which guy moves board shorts? Right. And, you know, I'm not so sure here in the USA that Ethan Ewing moves board shorts. No, but he, uh, so I, I mean, honestly, you need three guys kind of, right? Like, Idolo, you got a world champ, get the jazzy free surf dude, and I don't know who else. The well, up and coming, the up and coming Grom. I mean, Griffin Colapinto feels worthy. So you got Griffin, Idolo, and Jackson Dorian. 
I mean, <laughs> no, who's the jazzy free surf guy? The Tyler Warren is the jazzy. Maybe, free surf. yeah. Um, so you're cutting Seth Moniz, Shane Dorian, Joel Parkinson, Andy Irons, Jack Freestone, Mark Acalupo, and Frederico Marias. I mean, that's just from the global team. I mean, if those guys got cut, would it affect your world? I mean, would it affect sales at the end of the day? No. I guess the only reason it, the only way that those things I think affect sales is if they go to a different team. So if if a competing brand swoops those guys up and has really aggressive marketing, then they start to, I think, take market share. In a weird way. But nobody's going to swoop those guys right now. Yeah. I, I, I mean, and these team managers have almost sort of dug their own graves in that Aki is, is he's a legacy. He's a billabong legacy writer. Like you can't get rid of him. You know what I mean? Like it, it almost, you've almost invested so much that you got to keep him on and he's kind of worthy. I mean, I bet Aki moves more product than Ethan Ewing. I don't think Aki moves product, but I think he's a spokesperson for the brand. So when they do, um, if they need a public speaker for some event that they're doing, maybe a store opening or a new launch of something, Aki can go and grab the microphone and dazzle the crowd. So having a public speaker, and he, by the way, he's not a great public speaker, I know, I but know. he's Aki. I mean, as far, if you just classified public speaker, he does not fit the bill, but he's Aki and he's a world champ and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, yeah. um, that pays his salary alone because you know how much you'd have to pay a public speaker. And so I yeah. think that's where a lot of these expenses fall is how much would it hire uh, or how much would it cost to hire models to send to the Maldives to do a board short campaign? You know, what does, um, what does J Cruz expense look like for something like that when they shoot a catalog or LL Bean or whoever else? And those are significant expenses you know, can we just pay Aton Osborne? Well, Aton's probably not the best example. E Ethan Ewing, can we just pay Ethan Ewing a yearly salary and he'll model our board shorts throughout the year, plus promote us on Instagram, plus, you know, maybe he'll qualify for the tour or he did qualify for the tour previously. But, yeah. you know, there, there could be all this ancillary benefit, but really he's just a board short model. So make sure they're good looking. Jack Freestone. You know, great looking board short model. It's going to benefit from a lot of the glow of Alana and that justifies the salary. Yeah, I guess it kind of comes back to what we were saying earlier. If the salary is low enough, then let's keep all 11 guys. I mean, we need Andy Irons. We need Joel Parkinson. Yeah. You know, obviously Andy's gone, but I mean, his legacy is huge. So. so I've got another question that relates to all of this. I was telling you about in the Stab article, Caleb Trancred, um, ditching pro surfing because he's going to go study at university? Yes. Okay. Let's analyze that bet. Pro surfing, we're going to pay you money to surf. It's money in your bank right now. You're going to surf. University, you're going to pay money too to get an education. Is there any return on that investment? At this point in our world, does that university agree ever pay degree ever pay for itself? I've got a bunch of friends who are now in their late thirties who still have hundred thousand dollars plus in student loans. They're working as an attorney, you know, or whatever, making good money 
but still going to be paying their college loan for a long time to come. And it turns out they don't like being an attorney. They wish that they were something else, but they feel like they got to keep doing it because they got to pay back that student loan. And aside from the attorney example, there's just endless other job professions that get outsourced well, here, to other, yeah, go. Let me, let me chime you in. You see where first I'm going. All, first of all, it never hurts to have a law degree ever. I would say if you can get a law degree, go get one, no matter what, because- Even if you're going to take on the student debt? Well, here's the thing, right? The problem is nobody gives a shit about your undergraduate degree. Get your friggin' undergraduate degree at Cal State Long Beach for two years. Go to, go to like a junior college, get your undergraduate degree, but you got to give a shit about it. Like get a good degree, but just spend, you know, like the 12,000 a year for a friggin' Cal State Long Beach undergraduate degree. Now you've got a BA in political science or whatever, the, whatever the hell. Hopefully it's a BS in, in some sort of medical thing. And my point is, is that then you have to go to your, um, graduate program, right? And you either go to law school or you go to med school, right? Or you become a professor. My point is, yeah, an MBA. Okay, fine. There's too many of those, but I'd say shine the MBA, just get a law degree. (laughs) You can just go in there and be the MBA guy. But my point is, is that it's not too much of a burden fiscally if you do it right and you realize that the end game is two years of law school is going to cost me, you know, a hundred grand. You know, that's not 500 grand. Um, so I, th- I think it's worthy if you do it right. I think obviously the, the lame thing to do is to go get an undergrad degree in philosophy and then come out and expect a job. <laughs> You're not going to get one. Look, even if you get the law degree, can you come out and expect a job that will allow you to repay that debt and also live and purchase property in, let's, well, let's use Southern California as an example. Yeah, I don't know. That's, I mean, probably not. I don't, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting th- thing. But I do know this, that with a law degree, you can apply for any job anywhere and a guy's going to go, holy shit, this guy's got a law degree? That's funny. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Let's well, hire him. Well, so The other guy doesn't have a law degree. This guy's got a law degree. Let's fucking hire him. I like and your why, answer. Once you got a law degree and you get hired, then you're like, you're obviously smarter than the guy who hired you because you got a law degree and he's just got an M <laughs> and he's like, you know, 60 years old and has an MBA. And before you know it, he's asking you all the questions and blah, blah, you know. Well, so I like your answer because um, if you do it pointed and with direction, with a real goal, then by all means do it. And with a, yeah. with a game plan for the expenses involved and how you're going to manage those expenses or, or um, supply them. But just going aimlessly to college because that's what everybody said to do for all the previous generations is not the accurate move at this point. No, aimless college is not smart. My thought with Caleb was, dude, this I, apparently he was having that negotiation with Hurley pre-COVID. I'm thinking if Hurley's going to pay you six figures, do that, bank that money for however long they'll do it. Maybe it's four years, five years. And then go to college. You can go to college when you're 25. You don't have to do it when you're 18. And if you can make a six-figure salary, which is all that you would be hoping to do with whatever college degree you come out with, you can just jump to the front of the line now, bank that money, use it for college once you're 25, and you'll be styling at that point. Yeah, yeah. 
I would agree. As long as you can keep your eye on the prize, which is get, getting your uni degree when you're 25. That, I think perhaps his parents are like, holy shit, if he goes down this pro surfing path, no matter the 300 grand he gets now, in five years, he's going to be jobless. He will have spent all the money. And like, you know what I mean? They were looking at worst case yeah. scenario and going, but yeah, I mean, look, I'm stoked in a way. It's a pretty ballsy move. And, and in some respects, a kid that's, I don't know if mature enough is the right phrase, but a kid that has enough foresight to make that call, you got to figure he's got a pretty good head on his shoulders. Seems like it. Uh, if you can go back in time, how would you have done things differently? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a philosophical question that's kind of fascinating, actually, right? I mean, this, this concept of, um, of, you know, people often say, oh, I have no regrets, you know. And, and so philosophically, you know, I'm, as you know, I'm sort of a, um, I sort of have a spiritual, I feel like I have a spiritual path. And I feel like there's something bigger than me that's kind of moving me if I let it, as long as I take my hands off the wheel and let this other thing drive me, then um, it allows for me to, to have moments of contentment. And, um, and so it's a matter of how you measure success, right? Do you measure success materially or do you measure success a combination of materially and sort of inward spiritual growth, or do you measure success purely through, you know, selfless self-sacrifice and sort of a, like a Franciscan type of, of, um, you know, modus operandi where you're just, you know, St. Francis is an interesting guy, right? I mean, he, he came from a super wealthy family and just shunned it all. And just became like a monk, basically, and just lived off the land and just served his God and found all this incredible contentment through it. So I don't know, that's a pretty long winded answer. Would you, no would you take school? <laughs> would you do school differently? I did school absolutely perfectly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, dovetailing with those young kids with big contracts, have you seen Kale Walsh's new edit? He's, that's my must see moment. Soft serve. Soft serve. It's incredible. That last yeah. section there, I don't know where that wave is. It must be in Western Oz somewhere. He's a Western Oz local. so um, It looks like Double Island Point on steroids, but it's just it's too massive to be. I don't know. It's somewhere incredible. Like It could be like way north Queensland, or it could be all the way over down where he's at in Western Oz somewhere. He's from West Oz, but... Um, I mean, the kid, first of all, shreds, but it's, it's um, full throttle surfing is what we like to see. I mean, he's surfing massive barrels. He's doing huge airs, full rail turns, tons of power. He's the real deal. And yeah. by the way, does anywhere put out more high-level surfers like that than West Oz? No. It's not. Probably from, not. From Taj to Jay Davies to Jack Robinson, now Kale Walsh, plus, you know, tons of underground guys. It's unreal, the level of surfing. Uh, I mean, it's Hawaii-esque. You know, there's elements of Hawaii in that style of wave and power. And um, But I'm a huge fan. It was the sickest surf porn that we've seen in a long time, like 12 minutes of just high shreddability. 
Yeah, I, I've watched it a couple of times, actually. It's gotten me fired up. And, and you know, that, that ending wave, that right point, that sand bottom point, you're not riding a mid-length. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, you need a pointy nose surfboard to make some of those barrels. I mean, it's Look, just dude, so fast. You and I would opt to only ride high-performance surfboards if we had the waves that accommodated high performance surfboards, like the right. be- the waves that you and I want to surf call for high performance shortboards. And so that's what we would love to ride all the time. It's just that we live at spots where the mid length tends to be the better fit. And, and you know, there's 20 million people that live here. So there's tons of guys on mid lengths. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, it's interesting, but yeah, that was my, that was my musty moment. Soft serve. You guys should go check it out. It's on YouTube, I think, but it's everywhere. It it's on, it's on Surfer Magazine. It's on Stab. And uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, promoted by Quicksilver um, as in relation to the sponsor talks that we were having. He's a Quicksilver guy. Um, Rivals, Australian. So we were talking about the WSL trying to find a way to stream, create content without the contest. They are apparently currently filming The Ultimate Surfer up in Lemoore, I've heard rumors that among the contestants are Zeke Lau, um, Josh Moniz, Keanu Asing, uh, all in quarantine up there. I don't know who else, but those were rumors that came through from a listener. Anyway, we've been That's talking about- That's an interesting crew. I, I mean, Zeke Lau makes sense. Walk around. Is he's the like contest supposed to be that the winners get a chance to surf on the WSL? Yeah, on the CT. Yeah, did Zeke not qualify this year? I mean, that, I'm not. I don't remember. Maybe yeah. Maybe he got bumped off. To me, it feels like an opportunity for for no name fresh, for you and I to, to root for somebody that we didn't even know existed. More Rick or less. Kane. Yeah, exactly. We want somebody. You know, like I could think of a kid that I'd like to see. Um, you know, down here be put into that, you know, that yes, it's like a Volcom team rider that, you know, there's, I don't know, that just seems, those guys seem too old. Like Keanu Sings had two runs at it already. Like I love the kid, but I mean, hasn't he been on and off the tour twice already? Yes. So when my, when the listener DM'd me that, I was like, my first thought, boring. Like, I mean, a swing and a miss. Yes. Everything that you just said, but beyond that, who cares I, about what's I right and what's Kale wrong? Walsh. I want this boring Kale Walsh as hell. Exactly. Yeah. Give me Kale Walsh. Give me Dane Reynolds on his chapter 11. Just put out an edit with Matt McCabe, local, uh, overaged. You know, he's probably mid to late 30s at this point. But give him a chance. He's been working. <laughs> he's been probably working a day job his entire life, shredding in virtual anonymity up in Santa Barbara or in Ventura and Santa Barbara. And he's Dane Reynolds' buddy. If Dane is going to shine a light on him, give him a chance up there. You know, like, I'd like to see also like, um, I mean, I'm I'm sort of biased to San Diego guys, but I'd like to see like Zach Flores. Uh, no, I to make to be on the WCT, oh, okay, to yeah. win a chance on the WCT. I'm thinking more like Taylor Clark. I'm yeah. thinking like um, uh, Marshall. Um, is it Josh Jake. Marshall? Jake, Jake. Yeah, Jake Marshall. Um, those guys that were really close to qualifying a couple sure. times. I want to see those guys, you know, and I know there's guys up in OC that would fit that bill. I'd like to see some 21, 22 year old guys that they grinded the QS and this is their opportunity. 
for sure. So aside, I mean, did you expect the WSL to get this right? <laughs> I, I didn't know what to expect. I kind of half expected it to be just more what you were saying that we talked about last week, which is like almost a soap opera bachelor type of thing. Cause it's going to be on ABC primetime. So it's just going to be a bunch of hunky dudes that were just kind of so-so surfers. And maybe at the end they got a chance to be in a QS 10,000 at the U S open or something. You know what I mean? Like the, 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 the prize wasn't going to be actually a CT qualifying. Right. So um, Zeke Lau fits that bill. Like he could be the hunky guy that gets in fights with people and that that's fine. That part of it, Keanu is saying makes zero sense to me. Yeah. Uh, and overall, like I said, aside from what's right, what's wrong sounds boring as hell. Like that list of people. I'm just like, I'm already out, dude. I was out before. Now I'm like, not even looking back. I'm not even going to like watch the trailer because it's a swing and a miss. There's no way you can jam together these ingredients to make a delectable sandwich. I mean, I think it's doable, but it almost has to be scripted, which kind of eradicates. Dude, you know, lost it, the plot completely. I know. It's, it's hard. I'm trying to wrap my head around how I would do it. So let me give you an alternative scenario. Australia, uh, Surfing Australia yeah. has made a TV broadcast surf competition. They're taking 11 of Australia's iconic competitive male surfers with uh, – um, 13 consecutive TV episodes that'll air on Channel 9 uh, on September, August 8th, 2020. Each surfer will have two hours at their local wave to surf however they want on as many waves as they want. Their best three, and somebody's going to film it. They're going to hire their own team to film it. So this can all be done in quarantine. These 11 surfers go surf for two hours. They have their own filmer and they they pick their best three rides and they get scored uh, via the public on a platform called Clipero. So they upload everything, the public votes, and then also Olympic surfing head judge Glenn Elliott will be a judge and they'll combine his scores with the public scores. The surfers and the locations, Mick Fanning at Snapper Rocks, Joel Parkinson at Snapper, Dean Morrison at Snapper, B. Durbich at South Stradbrook Island, Josh Kerr at Duranbaugh, Danny Wills at Broken Head, Sean Cansdell at Copps Harbor, Jay Thompson at Burley Head, Glenn Hall at Avoca Point, Kai Otten, South Coast Slab, Nathan Hedge at North Narrabeen. So old battle scars will be opened, and it'll just be, it'll stream on TV in a number of episodes, free surf off, basically. Yeah, it sounds it sounds interesting. Obviously, the the problem with that is, you know, Avoca could be crappy and Lennox Head could be roping, or you know what I mean. Like the, these guys pick the day, so they? they have yeah, they have this entire window, and they're going to get a two hour session. And by okay. the way, they could probably hire their filmer to film thirty two hour sessions and just pick the best out of the best day that they got and the best three waves from that day. Yeah. Um, Look, I'm open to seeing how it plays out. I'm not sure if I'm completely sold on it. I, I do understand this concept of opening old battle scars and like that. But to me, what I'd like to see is, is sort of natural conflict occur within a small space. Yeah, like, of course. You know, and, um, and new faces. Like, I kind of don't want to necessarily see Danny Wills. Like, 
Yeah. I'm, I'm sure that Danny Wills is probably in his prime. What is he, like 37? I bet he surfs. <laughs> in, no, seriously, like when you're 35, I mean, and you surf all the time, you're pretty damn good. Like you're yeah. kind of at your best, really. Yeah. And so I'm sure Danny Wills rips. And I'm sure all of these guys are still shredding. I mean, Hedgehog probably still killing it. You know, he, not dude, I saw much. I saw a clip of him a month ago at Snapper. I could not believe how well he was surfing. Yeah. Guy's an animal. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I'm sort of leaning towards um, – I guess this is just a different – sort of a different format. than what Well, we're... it's – let's be real. It's Intersections format, and it's yeah. um, Instagram's format. You know, I can yeah. scroll Instagram today, and I can see Josh Kerr's clips versus uh, Mick Fanning's clips. Yeah. So, there's not a lot new here. Yeah. Um, the WSL thing's very different in that they're incorporating the reality, like live in the same house – have some household drama aspect into it, but that's not new. I mean, we've seen that with the boarding house back in the day. We've seen it certainly with a survivor. Million, I mean, there's yeah, a million other shows. It's a cut and paste type of thing. Yeah. So I don't think that either of these is fully um, going to be a home run, but I think it's easy to do like this version that I just explained called rivals. It's easy to pull off. And yeah. I think they'll, it'll get plenty of viewership in Australia. Oh, for sure. In Australia, no problem. I mean, that's, yeah. it's like, as you know, it's a national pastime. So it's... Exactly. Hey, did I tell you that yesterday we opened the previewing for the California Gold Surf Auction? So you I can go on. Lots of banter about it, but no, you did not tell me. <laughs> yeah, you can go on the California Gold Surf Auction website right now and um, preview all 60 lots and take a peek at what's available. Sweet. Yeah. Um, this will be a good time to remind listeners Need Essentials wetsuits. Right? Need Essentials. They've, they've upgraded the premium. They've upgraded basically their regular level suit to the premium level suit. And the premium now has brand new technology in it. Um, so essentially, the latest and greatest limestone based foam is iFoam. And the pre. Um, the steamers used the previous best in class V foam, but now you got the iPhone. So uh, we love them. They've supported us for a long time. Neatessentials.com. I get messages weekly from through DM and emails from listeners saying that they've gotten theirs and they love theirs. So neat essentials, all blacked out, no logos, no hang tags, no middleman. So they are a fraction of what you're used to spending on wetsuits, but they are super premium quality and um, awesome. Yeah, last week I went online and ordered a, a jacket. And I, oh, you did. My jacket arrived two days later and I've worn it a couple of times and I'm a huge fan and it is comfortable and warm and flexible and stretchy and it's everything you would want in a wetsuit. So I'm super stoked. The water's toasty here. It's, it's jacket weather. So it's great. Yeah. Awesome. Um, sad news. Uh, yes. Uh, Alex Pullen is an Olympic snowboarder, two time, uh, border cross world champion. Alex Pullen died yesterday while free diving on Australia's gold coast, actually two days ago. Oh, wow. Um, so from CNN, Pullen 32 was Australian flag bearer for the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi and competed in three Olympics in total. He was, pre, he was known as an experienced diver and had previously posted about his passion for spearfishing on social media. Quote, paramedics were called to an post-immersion incident off 19th Avenue at Palm Beach just after 10.30 a.m., said Queensland 
ambulance treatment, uh, ambulance services. One patient was pulled, was treated at the scene. Pullen was known to frequent the popular swimming spot and had previously gone spearfishing at the artificial reef located here around 270 meters from shore. Another diver found Pullen unconscious without an oxygen mask. And um, he had been diving alone at the time and he was free diving and spearfishing out on the reef. Emergency services performed cardiopulmonary resuscitation for 45 minutes, but could not save his life. So I dove into Wikipedia to learn more about this. Um, it's free dive blackout, apnea blackout, or hypoxia blackout. And it's basically a loss of consciousness caused by um, holding your breath, which is obvious. But what's strange about it is that the swimmer does not necessarily experience the urgent need to breathe and has, there's no like preconsisting medical condition that causes it. It's just, you're holding your breath and you black out where you would think if somebody was holding their breath and they got to that point, they'd start flailing and there would be signs for other people around to notice, but that's not what happens. Victims are often, practitioners of um you know breath holding diving they're fit they're strong and they've not experienced problems before this just happens to very fit very well conditioned um athletes so it's super scary and it has a high free diving blackout this thing of when you black out it has a high fatality rate because of those things because there's no flailing and it mostly involves males younger than 40 and is generally avoidable, but um, it's avoidable if you have a friend, basically. You need to dive in pairs and you need to be keeping tabs on one another because if you're swimming alone, you black out, nobody's there to save you. Blackout's always followed by drowning, essentially. So super scary and could have happened to anybody. And this guy was an elite athlete, so. Wow, that's a bummer. I'm sorry yeah. to hear that. Yeah. Not good. Active surfer too. I mentioned that he was a snowboarder, but he was an active surfer as well. Friends with every, friends with all the famous Aussies. Friends with Mick Fanning, Steph Gilmore, DJ Paul Fisher, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's a bummer. Sorry. It is a bummer. That. Yeah. Rest in peace, Alex Poland. I have a, a change in mood for you. I have a Duke, Duke Kanamoku. Me too. My Duke. Sadly, I don't know their names. I could look it up. <laughs> but there are two surfers who are stuck on Kandui Island, the Kandui Resort. So I'm on the, um, the mailing list for Kandui. They sent me an email, and they're basically like, hey, we've been open for surfers to come visit. Now, the caveat is you have to already have been in Indonesia, and you need to have been tested no less than two times before you can even get on the boat in Padang. I think you get tested in either um, Jakarta or in Bali, and then that flight gets you into Padang, and then in Padang you got to get tested. And then once you test negative, you can get on the boat and get out to the Mentawise. But again, you have had to have already been in Indonesia. You can't fly in from Australia or wherever. And these two Australian guys were in Bali, and they're like, let's go to the Mentawise. They just opened it up. And these two guys are basically by themselves, the pumping swells at Kandui, 
And to all of us that have been out there before know, look, it gets crowded. You know, you get five or six boats rolling up with 11 guys in a boat, and then there's 15, 20 guys on the island itself, and then there's land camps everywhere. It's gotten out of control. These guys are living the COVID dream, man. The two surfers basically surfing that entire playgrounds area. I'm sure there's a few kind of privateer boats out there, but for the most part, it's empty out there. And these guys are are scoring, and my hats are off to them. They're my my duke. Man, what a lucky scenario. Yeah. Uh, one for the record books. These yep. guys would be good podcast interviews. They might be. I interviewed yesterday uh, Amy Co- Koch. Yes. Who we talked about. That's our about. girl. Yeah. Yeah. We had been That's talking about the last Stephanie couple Stephanie Gilmore. <laughs> exactly. So her and her husband run uh, the surf program uh, at a resort on the Maldives and are living the dream there. And so we had a really good chat yesterday. I'll publish it in a week or two. And it was fascinating to hear her story of how she ended up there in that position, how much she gets to surf, how much she's improved by living there and surfing there for the last 11 years, all of the pros that she gets to see come through. Um, Really incredible story. So it was really cool. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. um, I I guess my question was going to be, are they having troubles getting, getting clients right now because of this? It's completely closed down, but the government is actually quarantining COVID patients at the resort. So the government is paying the resort to uh, quarantine patients there, but they're only in half of the resort. So Amy and her husband, Richard, have no clients, so they aren't making money, but they also get to live there for free and eat for free, so they don't have any expenses. And the resort itself is staying in business by quarantining patients for the government. Okay, so they're getting some monies from the government for the, the quarantine. The resort, the resort is, but oh, Amy and not, her hu- husband. Oh, it's not their resort. No, Amy and her husband just run the surf program for the resort. I see, okay. So they're out of income, but they're also low expenses, so they can float through. And there's no one around, they're surfing by themselves. There's that. <laughs> Good for them. I know. Uh, so my Duke is actually Tori Meister for out- Carving King Kelly on the the tandem wave at lower seen around the world. That was so cool. The best clip of all time, right? Yeah, it was pretty cool. Crazy, super crowded lowers, but also pumping lowers. And Corey and Kelly Slater on the same exact wave and they do, not simultaneous, but uh, dueling 360s. Dueling 360s. By the way. I'm of the opinion that the carving 360 is the greatest surf move in all of surf. You're not the only one. I I just think it's awesome. It's hard to do. It's not easy. It's actually quite difficult. I think it's more difficult than an aerial. I wouldn't know. I can't speak from experience. But the idea of the carving 360 is something that we've doodled on our notebook since we were eight years old in, you know, sixth grade or whatever it was, fourth grade. And and it's so it just sparks the imagination and then to see it and it's also I think it's it's reachable it's something that I as a mid 50 surfer can still reach for I think it's it's a doable maneuver you know I think if with the right board in the right time I've certainly tried you know once or twice a session during a kick out to keep on going around and uh, I, think yeah, it, kick, I think it's approachable I've never tried to actually land one but I've you know been kicking out of a wave and just hit it at that angle and then realize like, oh, there's a little projection there 
if you really went for it, like I can kind of see how you would make that work. But yeah, you're upside down. It's crazy. And so Chris Gallagher and I have a going, we have a back and forth thing. He's a huge advocate for them because he says the exact same thing as you. So yeah. I sent him that clip and I'm like, dude, give me the breakdown. Who, who did it better? And he, he claimed Tories. He like gave me very detailed, like, well, Kelly's was more this, but Tories was more that I'm going to give the nod to Tory. Um, I think Tori was in front and Tori did it first, carving three. Yeah, Tori seemed a little bit more spontaneous and faster. And then as Tori came down, Slater was kind of bottom turning around him and then did one right next to him. But by the way, like whether a maneuver is more diff- a higher degree of difficulty than the other version of it is largely based on the section that the wave provides you. Yeah. So Tori might have just got a better section too. And yeah. Kelly was following Tori's lead. And the fact that Kelly could even like – whip one up out of nowhere like know, oh tori did one okay i got one for you too boom and then that's tori- kind of the vibe you got was that kelly was like i'm not going to be one up here exactly and yeah. then tori came out of his after kelly did his bottom turns and goes straight into an air reverse and tori almost pulled it which would have been insane you know <laughs> yeah. so it was such a great clip yeah, such a great clip so my duke is tori meister for you know aging out of professional surfing and then throwing down the clip of the of the year with the kids. Yeah. Good stuff. My must see moment is Dave Rostovich's new surf clip. It's called inside this inside this soft world by Nathan Oldfield and Nathan phenomenal filmmaker uh, out of that Byron Bay area of Australia. He sent me this clip on June 11th. So I've been remiss to not discuss it until now, but I will be posting it. I'll post visuals uh, from it still still frames from it dave rostovich dude i mean can you get enough no one of the best surfers ever one One of the the greatest surfers ever i mean right up there with tom kern in my book and rob he's like machado rostovich tom kern those three are kind of like at the pantheon of style agreed and fundamentals. Is that even like, a thing? A pantheon of style? Like, does that even, does that even make of, sense? It's a brand of shampoo, but yeah. <laughs> um, is uh, Rostovich's fundamentals in the same way that Tom Kearns and Robin Chato's, there's never a body movement out of place. There's no wasted energy. It is... It's a every, dance. They're dancing. A, and dancing perfectly on every single wave you watch the guy get to his feet and it's like fluid motion and everything's forward momentum and he's riding the gary mcneil i know you like gary mcneil's boards yeah the Um, taurus twin it might be yeah it's something that looks very similar to that for sure or the taurus twin pin he's got the twin pin too that's yeah yeah it's just the board looks insane and and it's it's not a long film i think it's five to seven minutes or something like that. But inside this soft world, it's amazing. I'll be posting it and uh, people's minds will be blown. Again, this went out a month ago and it's like barely even made a blip on most people's radar. So we need to share it with the Did world. I tell you my, my story about Dave. We were on a, where I traded in my surfboard. Did I tell you that story? I feel like you have, but we need more bass stories. Uh, people want them. Okay. Well, real time. Real quick, so I was I was on a surf trip and a boat trip in the Mentawise, and um, Dave was on the trip with us, and I think it was a surf aid trip, um, waves for compassion. But anyway, I had a 
Steveless fish, which I absolutely loved. It was just like my favorite board. It just worked so good. It was incredible. And Dave had a longer fish, like a like a mid-length fish, like a six-six keel fish. Mine was five eleven, and we were surfing, and 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 my board was obviously working good. And 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 Dave's like, hey, let me try that thing, you know. And I'm like, okay, yeah, you know. And and I let Dave try the board and. And after a couple sessions, he was just like grabbing the board. Like he was basically like, hey, can I ride your board again? And I basically like, he loved the board, right? He was just ripping on this list fish. And he also had a, um, a mat, a blow up mat. Like he was riding a mat. And I was, and I knew that Steve, Stevie List would be stoked if I, if Dave had one of his boards. So I'm like, hey, tell you what, I'll trade you. Why don't you take my list and I'll take your mat? You know, and we did a trade. I, look, I, I knew I could come back here and get another one, which I did. I got another list. But I just sensed that Stevie List would be stoked for Dave to be on one of his boards. And it was obvious that Dave loved this board, right? As did yeah. I. So wow. I took his mat. I almost drowned on his mat. <laughs> I told him, I go, no matter what you do, don't ever sell this board. Like, if you're going to sell it, just sell it back to me or give it back to me or whatever. Yeah. And um, I think he might have sold the board. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I think so. I don't know. I could be wrong, but I don't ever see him riding it. But um, anyway, I almost drowned on the mat and I lost my favorite list fish. That's my story. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, it was a very kind and generous trade on your behalf because that mat isn't worth nearly oh, a fraction. I almost died on the thing. I literally so, almost drowned on a two foot day in the mentorized on a mat. And how did that happen? What's that story? I, I was like, oh, I'm going to just be a mat rider. This should be easy, you know? And I blew the thing up and I got my swim fins and I have never ridden a mat in my life. And I'm like, oh, this will be like a boogie board, you know? Like I'm completely ignorant and naive. And I paddle out to this stupid little left and, and I catch a wave and I'm thinking I'm going to angle down the wave at it uh, along the left. And I just go straight down the wave face. I can't seem to get up into the wave and I wipe out. Right. And so then I come up and I'm, and I've got to paddle through a set and you can't duck dive these mats. This thing's fully inflated. It's basically just tumbling me along the reef. This like nice four foot set comes and I'm just getting washed away. And I mean, obviously I didn't drown or almost drown, but point is, is that I was overmatched by this mat and this right. four foot swell at some silly little left <laughs> reef in the, in the Mentwise. But how was, my story. how was Rasta's surfing? Dude, I think we have, I think there's a bunch of photos on him. Uh, Jeff Devine was on the trip with us and he took a bunch of photos of, of Rasta riding that board. So, um, you know, he was just flawless. You know, like I said, he's, he's, He's sort of like those guys, Kern, Machado, Rasta, they're sort of like Barishnikovs. You know, they just absolutely kill it. Yeah. And by the way, Nathan Oldfield kills it as a filmmaker. And it's not like Rasta works with a lot of filmmakers. He's pretty selective at this point. You don't see yeah. a ton of him. He's pretty elusive. And so the fact that he's um, – given access to Nathan Oldfield, I think is a pretty big kudos. And I, Nathan Oldfield's aesthetic and style suits Rostovich's perfectly. It's yeah. a perfect match. No, it absolutely is. Totally. So we'll be posting right. that. Yeah. Um, what else was I going to say to you? Oh, nah, screw it. I was gonna hey, say, you know what I'm going to say? If yeah. you need, if you like what you're hearing, please donate to oh, the yeah. podcast for David and I. There's a donate button on spitpodcast.com. Uh, we need your donations to keep the weekly show running and going smoothly. So consider and $5 a month or more. 
um, and we'll put some some spit in your ear. Maybe that's and not the right way to phrase it. <laughs> you mentioned that last week, and a couple of people did DM us to say that they've stepped up. They've been listening for years for free, and they've stepped up to support. So thank you for that. Yeah, David and I so, appreciate your support. Please consider doing that, donating. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right, Scott. Yeah, until next time, David. Adios and aloha.